Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week Christmas series leading up to the birth of Jesus in which we are looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. Thanks again for joining us. Have you ever had one of those experiences where, as Jeff likes to say, across the ticker of your mind, the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something or to say something that you know is not just your own imagination, you know it's not indigestion, because he's asking you to do something that you would never come up with on your own. Sometimes those things are big things, sometimes those things are small things. In fact, it most often happens to me in the small things. Usually it happens when I use my mouth in a way that isn't great. I say something I wish I hadn't said to somebody, probably most often my wife, and I'll be driving away in my car, and all of a sudden there's the Holy Spirit convicting me, saying, you need to make that right. And I know that's not for me, because in my flesh, I don't want to make that right. But that's how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. And this morning, as we're continuing our series leading up to Christmas called The Spirit of Christmas, we're looking at ways that the Holy Spirit was involved in the Christmas story. Ways the Holy Spirit played a direct role in a person's life to prepare the arrival of Jesus. And today I want to talk a little bit about being led by the Spirit by looking at a person who certainly was. Now here's the hope we've had for this series. You can see it up on the screen here. We just started it last week. We see the Holy Spirit actively involved in preparing people for Jesus' first appearing and can help us prepare for Jesus' second appearing. And so this morning, we're going to talk about somebody who was used to prepare people for Jesus' first, first coming, and her name was Mary. And we want to look at how the Holy Spirit was actively involved in her life to bring about God's purposes in this world. And really what I want to do is use her as an example to look at what it looks like for us to be led by the Spirit. Because we're going to see that he wants to use us as well to still bring about his purposes in this world. And so if you're following on your notes, here's really the question I want us to answer today. How can we join the Holy Spirit in his work in this world? How do we join him? How are we led by him? How do we answer those promptings that he gives us? Let's look at Mary's example together and find out. So if you would, I'll invite you to take your Bible, turn it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you're still getting used to where things are in your Bible, Luke is in the New Testament, probably about four-fifths of the way back in your Bible there. And if you don't have a Bible, we always invite you to grab one of the ones we have available in the seat underneath you there. In fact, you can find Luke 1 on page 830 of those black. Bibles. Now, as you're turning there, I know you guys are smart. You can do two things at once. We're going to pray together, and then we'll open up this text. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, what a privilege, as Chuck reminded us first thing this morning, it is to gather week in and week out. What a privilege it is to have a copy of your word on our phones, or maybe as a hard copy. We realize that people around the world don't have this privilege, so we don't want to take it lightly. And so we're asking you, as we do every week, to speak to us through your word, through your spirit. Open our eyes and our hearts to not only see what you want us to see, but to respond in the way you're calling us to respond. So we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now the first question we really have to answer is, what is God's purpose in this world? What exactly is he going to be inviting us to join him in doing? Well, we know from the beginning of the Bible that God's ultimate desire was to have a relationship with his people. It's why he created us. Unfortunately, we read pretty early on that sin got in the way of that relationship. But, good news for all people, that did not stop God from pursuing us. In fact, from the moment he calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he restarts his plan to establish his rule and his reign here on earth once again with his people. And that plan, I'm fast forwarding thousands of years, is coming to fulfillment here in the beginning of the New Testament, in the most unlikely of places with the most unlikely of people. What I mean is, if you were about to establish your kingdom, I'm not sure how you would do it, but the typical human method of establishing kingdoms is through force and through power. It's usually the strongest person who wins. We tend to just take what we want. But that is not God's way. That is not the way of God, even though he could have done that. God chooses a different way to bring about his kingdom. In fact, it's an audacious plan. It's almost laughable. You see, we're going to be looking at someone who from the world's eyes at least would not be considered a prime candidate for carrying out God's plan in this world. Her name is Mary. Now I know you sit here and go, I know Mary. I know this story. I'm so familiar with it. I've heard it every single year and it really doesn't shock us as much. But the truth is, the story of Mary had to cause people to wonder from the outside looking in, what in the world is God thinking here? Of course, I hope you've realized that God doesn't think the same way we think, nor does he act in the same way that we act. He doesn't view things the same way we view them, nor does he work in the same ways that we work. And that is certainly true here in the life of Mary. So let's look at this incredible story. I'm asking for you to have fresh eyes with this familiar story. It says, starting in verse 26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We'll pause here. Now, if you were here last week, I know not all of you were, but we looked at uh, another time an angel was sent to a person, and this person was the named Zechariah. And this angel, Gabriel, was sent to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist to both he and his wife, Elizabeth. I find it interesting, if you're reading in Luke, that these two stories come back to back because really they're set in such contrast to one another. In the first visit, Gabriel is sent to Jerusalem, like the Jerusalem, the city of God's people, and not only to the city of God's people, but to the very center of the city. He is sent to the temple in Jerusalem. That's the most important place in the world for a Jewish person. And that makes perfect sense to me. Doesn't it to you? I mean, if you're talking about delivering one of the most important messages ever to be delivered in the world, I think it ought to take place at the center of the world as well. So imagine for a minute that you're Gabriel, and you're given this second assignment, you'd be a little shocked. And not just Gabriel, any first century Jewish person reading this story would be equally stunned by God's choice to send Gabriel to the town of Nazareth. You see, in those days, Nazareth was considered a bit of a non-place because it's where Gentiles lived. And who are Gentiles? 
as anybody who's not Jewish. And so Jewish people viewed Nazareth as a second-rate city, sort of like how Chicagoans view Springfield. (laughs) It was known as a place of sin and corruption. No way God is working in a place like Nazareth. In fact, here's how absurd this is. When Nathanael, who would later become one of Jesus' disciples, is told the Messiah is from Nazareth, here is his response in John 1.46. Nazareth, you can almost hear him spitting on the ground. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip said. But as I've already said, God doesn't work in the way we would work. He likes places like Springfield. Isn't that good news? In his plan to redeem the world, he chose a girl from Nazareth to be the mother of the promised Messiah. Speaking of Mary, don't you think Gabriel was a little bit shocked by God's choice here as well? You see, in the world's eyes, Mary, not much at first glance. Zechariah, I understand. An important person. He was a priest after all. He worked in the temple. He lived in Jerusalem. It all makes sense to me. But Mary... She is not a prophet, she is not a priest, she's not in the temple performing acts of service for God. Instead, she's simply a young woman at home planning her wedding. She was too young at this point to know much of the world or to have accomplished much of anything. In fact, people think she was at the oldest 14 years old here, more likely 12 or 13 years old. Her knowledge of the scriptures would have been limited to what she had learned at home or by going to the synagogue every week. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to school. She was poor. From all outside appearances, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day she would die like thousands of others like her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. But this is where God begins his redemptive plan for human beings. Why? Because if you're on your notes, God brings about his purposes in unexpected ways. Why? Why does God bring about his purposes in unexpected ways? So that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is God at work. That this isn't human manipulation in some way. This is God fulfilling his purposes. As we consider this text, you can't miss the inescapable fact. The greatest news ever proclaimed in Israel at this time was done in the least likely of places with the humblest of all its people. Speaking of humility, notice Mary's response to Gabriel's greeting starting in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, I'm just going to pause here again, too, and maybe say something a little bit controversial. What's very important to notice about Gabriel's words here is there's actually nothing extraordinary about Mary said. She is, by the world's standards, an unremarkable teenage girl. What makes her remarkable in these verses is that she is a recipient of God's grace. Some have argued it's because there's something amazing about Mary that God chose her, but the language here actually suggests that's not the case. She is a recipient of God's grace, his undeserved favor. 
In fact, this word used to describe Mary is used only one other time in the New Testament, and it's used to describe every follower of Jesus in Ephesians 1, verse 6. Look at the beginning of that in in verse 4. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has, this is the word, freely given us in the one he loves. Nothing we have done to deserve it. It's a gift of grace in the same way nothing Mary has done to deserve it. It's a gift of grace. In many ways, Mary is the first person, friends, to be given an invitation to the gospel. And just like any time, the gospel is presented, the good news that God's grace is available to you free of charge. What we do see from Mary is the kind of attitude it takes to respond to it. And for that, she should be commended. She, like any person who hopes to receive the free gift of God's grace, receives it with humility. She receives it with humility. We're given a hint of it already in verse 29 where it says, she is troubled by his words. I don't think that means she's scared. I think it means it's similar to saying, who, me? Are you sure you have the right house here? Who am I that the Lord would even take notice of me? That the Lord would bestow his favor on me? And friends, that is how every single person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Who am I that you would give me this gift of grace? God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. You're falling on your notes. Humility is essential to receive God's grace. Nobody, nobody receives God's grace because they think they deserve it. We receive it because we know we don't. You know, the most famous song we sing as Christians, the most popular hymn of all time, is a song called Amazing Grace. Because it's that, it's amazing grace. But I don't know if you know the person who wrote it, his name was John Newton. And before he experienced God's amazing grace, he was a slave trader. And he would write things like, how could God save a wretch like me? He had humbled himself and because he did, God's gift was available to him. Are you a recipient of God's grace? then you understand John Newton and you understand Mary's response here as well. Who am I? Who am I that the Lord would pour his grace upon me? Undeserved favor. Well, let's continue the story and see what message Gabriel actually delivers to Mary. If you're surprised about the where and the who, just wait till you read the what. Verse 31 says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now read verse 35 on your notes. This is where we see the Holy Spirit at work in this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Keep going. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Ever since Adam and Eve allowed sin to enter in the world, God had a rescue plan in mind for us. And this is it. This is it. Can you believe it? This is how God's redemptive plan for all of humanity is going to begin with a 13-year-old girl carrying the Son of God as a baby. What an audacious plan. You might even call it a Hail Mary. I spent all week on that. (laughs) Most of us, had we designed the plan... I'm laughing at Brian because he, (laughs) we would have made great pomp and circumstance out of it. We would have made a big deal out of it, but not God. Not God. He comes under the radar. It kind of reminds me of this Thanksgiving. Uh, We were visiting Peggy's family and we played uh, football, you know, the turkey bowl type thing. And after every play, uh, Peggy's dad would gather us. He was the all-time quarterback and he would draw out these elaborate plans that we were all going to go do. And I could tell our son was starting to get very annoyed by this because he just wanted to play. And so he finally just said, I'm just going deep. I'm just going deep. And so he wouldn't even come to the huddles anymore. And in many ways, (laughs) this is what God is saying, right? I'm just going deep. I'm going with a 13-year-old teenage girl to begin the plan of redemption for this world. God's message to Mary is simple. I'm on the move as I promised I would be. And I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of my plan to rescue this world. Friends, please never mistake at Christmas as we go through these texts who the main character is. The main character of this text is not Mary. It is not Gabriel. It is the God of the universe who takes center stage here. Something big is about to happen. And like he always has, he wants to involve his people in it. Let's break down Gabriel's message here. Imagine you're Mary. Put yourself in her shoes. You're going to give birth to a son who's going to rule over a kingdom that never ends. Greetings. How would that be for a shocker? I mean, as non-Jewish people, this probably doesn't strike us as much as it would if you were Jewish during this time and you knew your scriptures. Because in these verses, if you were listening to this message, you know that God was fulfilling a promise he had given centuries ago to a man named David. You see, David was a king, a man God described as a man after his own heart. And God made an unbelievable promise to David. He promised David that I will establish your kingdom forever and ever. In fact, we read about this promise in 2 Samuel 7, 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. As Jeff mentioned last week, though, it had been hundreds of years since that promise. And the Jewish people were beginning to wonder, would God ever fulfill it? At this time in history, they were being ruled by cruel and oppressive kings by the Romans, and they saw no end to it. As he said last week as well, they haven't even heard a message from God for over 400 years. Surely they're wondering, has God forgotten about his people? Has he forgotten about his promises? And so Gabriel's message to Mary here is monumental. God has not forgotten. The time to fulfill his promise is now, and he's going to do that through a teenage girl living in a nowhere town who's going to give birth to God's son, who is a direct descendant of David, 
And you are to name this son Jesus, which just means God saves. God saves his people. The child Mary will carry will be the savior of the world. If you're following on your notes, Mary will help fulfill God's plan of redemption. The plan he put in place at the moment sin entered into this world. Of course, the natural question Mary had, like any of us would, is, um, how is this going to happen? Since I'm a virgin? Now understand, this question is completely unlike Zechariah's question in the previous text, who wondered if Elizabeth was actually going to get pregnant because she was so old. Unlike wondering that, Mary believed it would happen. She simply didn't know how it was going to happen. She understands the birds and the bees, and since she wasn't married to Joseph yet, she wondered how God is going to do this. I picture this sort of like if you've had younger children around you ever, you know they're just, they're full of wonder and full of questions. When our daughter was younger, we were telling her we're going to go visit, we're going to see Nani and Poppy, that's what we would say, that's her grandparents. We're going to see Nani and Poppy. We're going to see Nani and Poppy. And she believed us, but finally, exasperated, she said, but how? Because she knows they live a thousand miles away. I was like, oh, we're going to drive. I think that's the kind of question Mary is asking here. Like, um, I believe you, but how? But how? And Mary's answer is incredible. The very Holy Spirit of God is going to enable you to do this thing. God is going to do something in your life that only God can do. And he still does that in our lives today. He will still ask us to do things that only he can do. And so the question is, how will Mary respond to this invitation? And more importantly, how does that teach us about how we respond to God's leadings and invitations to join him in his work still today? Now, the main thing I want you to hear today, more than anything else, I want you to hear this, is that God still works through ordinary people like Mary. Even more than that, if you're a follower of Jesus, even more than that, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, just like he did with Mary. And just like Mary, he wants to enable you in his power to bring out his redemptive plan in this world. In fact, I'm not going to get too weird here, but I'm going to get a little weird. If you're a Christian, the New Testament says that you literally carry Jesus with you wherever you go. You're not pregnant. But because of what Jesus has accomplished, you have now become one with Christ, and Christ has become one with you. Paul calls this one of the great mysteries of the faith. In fact, look at what he says in Colossians 1.27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What mystery? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in every believer. So if you're following there, like Mary, we're called to carry the Savior into the world. We're called to carry the Savior into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our families. This is a mystery because God still wants to use ordinary humans to accomplish his divine plan. How does he accomplish it? He gives us himself. He fills us with his spirit. I tend to think we put Mary up on a pedestal at times when the fact is every follower of Jesus has been given the exact same calling to carry Jesus into this world through the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's leading. 
You see, part of the Christmas story I hope you never miss is God is still looking for people who will carry his message into the world. This is still God's plan. You're still God's plan. I'm still God's plan. He uses ordinary people who he fills with the Holy Spirit to make himself known. I used to think, I'm sure you have thought this as well, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, well, if only that athlete would become a Christian. If only that actor would become a Christian. If only that musician would become a Christian, then God would be able to do some pretty incredible things. And I don't want to discount that, of course. But more often than not, I'm just going to tell you, God is looking for ordinary people who respond to his call. Those are the people God loves to use. Why? Because then there's no doubt. There's no doubt who is at work there. Look to any of Jesus' disciples if you need further proof. This wasn't the cream of the crop that Jesus chose. These were the castaways, nothing in the world's sights, and yet God chose them. He didn't choose the priests or the kings of those days. He chose 12 ordinary men to spread the message of his rescue plan to the entire world, and we're sitting here today because of them. How in the world did they accomplish that? I mean, you've read the Gospels. They're stumbling all over themselves. How could we be sitting here today? I'll tell you how. Read it in Acts 1, verse 8 on your notes there. This is what Jesus promises to us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's how. I'm going to give you my spirit to accomplish the job that I'm giving to you. Did it work? Oh, it worked, and it still works. So you may feel that your ability or your experience or your age or your education makes you an unlikely candidate for the service of God. Don't limit God's choices. He wants you to join him, but in order to do that, we must understand, if you're following on your notes, that we can only do this through the Holy Spirit's power. We can only do this through the Holy Spirit's power. Have you learned this? I am a living proof of this. If you would tell my high school friends that I stand up in front of people and I public speak, they would have laughed in your face. But I was given a call. I was given a leading. And unless the Holy Spirit were to enable me in that, I wouldn't be able to do it. He's given all of us a call. He leads us every day. Why? Because he wants us to join him in his work in this world. Mary understood it. And that's why she's such a great example for us. In fact, I'm going to close by talking about two ways the Holy, that Mary responds to the Holy Spirit's call and how that can teach us to respond as well. What does it take to be led by the Spirit? First, if you're following on your notes, Mary responds to God's call in humility. Mary responds to God's call in humility. I know we talked about this earlier, but I can't talk about this enough. If you want to be led by the Holy Spirit... If you want to join God in his work in this world, then the number one thing he looks for is a humble spirit. We already saw Gabriel comes to her home announcing the news, and we're told that Mary is confused and troubled by his words. I used to think it's because she's scared out of her wits by the appearance of an angel. And certainly there's probably some of that in there, but the more I've studied this passage, the more I'm convinced she's confused and troubled, not so much by Gabriel's appearance, but in his greeting. Greetings. 
highly favored one. The Lord is with you. She is troubled by these words because she cannot imagine why she, among all people, should be chosen to receive God's grace. And you know what? That's why he chose her. That's why he chose her. The very fact that she's confused and troubled by Gabriel's praise reveals this is exactly the type of person God is looking for to accomplish his purposes. She is the real deal. I read a story this week about a husband who bought his wife a diamond ring for Christmas and his friend was confused and said, I thought your wife wanted a four by four. And he said, yeah, but you can't find any fake four by fours. God is not looking for cubic zirconium Christians, friends. He's looking, not looking for people who are great on the outside, look like they have it all together. He's looking for people who are beautiful on the inside. And the number one quality he looks for is what? Humility. Mary reflects the type of person who the Holy Spirit unexpectedly chooses to use. She brings no outstanding credentials to the task. She has nothing on her resume. Nothing. But those characteristics are the most basic ones that a person can offer to God. Willingness and availability. So he puts her to use in his plan, taking through her through a process that she had no preparation for, she had no training for. He simply promises, I'll be with you on this journey. And she responds by being willing to go on the ride. That is humble faith. Do you have that kind of humble faith? If you're on your notes, God works in mighty ways through humble people. As opposed to what our world teaches us, where humility is a sure sign of weakness, the Bible places great value on humility. In fact, I love Leonard Bernstein, who was a celebrated orchestra conductor, was once asked, what's the hardest instrument to play? And without a moment's hesitation, he replied, second fiddle or second violin. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, if nobody wants to play second, we can have no harmony. Mary is willing to play second fiddle. And because she was, she experienced the joy of being called by the Lord. Second way Mary responds that we can learn from, if you're on your notes, is she responds to God's call in obedience. In obedience. Would you read verse 38 out loud with me on your notes there? It says, Mary said, Behold, I am the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You would be hard pressed to find a more amazing response to God's call anywhere in Scripture than that one right there. Notice her words I am the Lord's bondservant. What's a bondservant? I chose that translation because it gets it closer. A lot of our translations just say servant there, but it's more than that. Unlike normal servants or slaves who were bought by a master and forced into an extended time of service, a bond servant, that's somebody who had been set free by his master but chose to remain with them and serve them for life. In other words, a bond servant is somebody who loved their master so much, had such a great relationship with them that they decided to serve them freely for the rest of their lives. You can read about them in Exodus chapter 21. I have it referenced on your notes there. And so if you're following, a bond servant is one who voluntarily serves another. Voluntarily serves another. Doesn't this bring more life to Mary's response here? 
She knows she could respond to God by saying, uh, thanks, but no thanks. But she willingly makes herself the Lord's bondservant. Paul loved to refer to himself this way as well, by the way. The Lord's bondservant. I've come to the conclusion there's really two ways for us to view obedience. You know, when the Bible asks us or tells us, here's the way to live, I can either view that as like a grudging acceptance, oh, all right, I'm going to do this because I don't want God to strike me with lightning. Sort of like when kids are like, oh, mom and dad are going to make me clean up my room. Or we can view it as an opportunity to see God has my best interest in mind. He is the best available life for me, and I'm going to serve him willingly and joyfully because I trust him. That's what a bondservant is. What makes Mary's response incredible to me is this is no small thing she's agreeing to here. A young unmarried girl who became pregnant, (laughs) she's risking disaster. She risked losing Joseph, her family, her reputation. This whole story about the Holy Spirit, uh, she risks being called crazy in her community forever. But Mary obeyed. She didn't consult with anyone else. She didn't get out the chalkboard, pros, cons. Nope. She knew that the Lord was asking to serve, and she willingly obeyed. Can I tell you how many times in my life I've known the Lord is asking me to do something and I haven't? One of the most painful ones for me is when I was in high school, there was this, uh, this kid who just, to be honest, was not popular at all. And I knew the Holy Spirit was asking me to reach out to him. Day after day after day, by himself in the lunchroom. And I didn't, because I knew it would cost me cool points in the eyes of my peers. I wasn't willing to be fully obedient to God. I wish I could say that was the last time that happened. Happens all the time. Mary was the Lord's bondservant. Her body was not her own, her reputation was not her own, she didn't care about cool points. Her future was not her own. Of course she would not have planned this. But she submitted. She surrendered. So don't miss this fact this Christmas. If you're on your notes again, we can't join God without first surrendering to him. Fully surrendering. Have you ever said, can you say right now, I am your bondservant, Lord. Whatever you ask. One thing I want to make sure I'm clear on is it's not always going to be huge things. In fact, he probably won't ask you to do huge things until you prove to be faithful with the small things. I got to just brag on some folks in our church here. I've had at least four or five people come up to me ever since it's been known that I need a, a, a new kidney donor who have unmistakably been called by the Holy Spirit to get tested. And so they got tested. They're sure they're going to be the ones that God is asking them to be my donor. And they will come up to me with shock. Like, I know God asked me to do this, and yet I'm not the match for you. And I said, here's what's going on here. The Lord is testing you, and you are obedient. And so now he's going to give you another opportunity to be obedient. Don't let that stop you from being the Lord's bondservant again and again and again. He has a plan in place for me. And he has a plan in place for you. Now, if you're anything like me, you can come up with a hundred good reasons why you shouldn't respond when God calls you to do something. It's not convenient. I'm too busy. That would mean I'd have to swallow my pride. You name it, I've come up with it. But if we want to make room for the Holy Spirit 
to work in our lives, we've got to get to the point of understanding the moment he asks you to do something, the moment he leads you to do something, the moment he prompts you to do something, don't hesitate. Do it and trust that he will empower you with whatever you need. Friends, I wonder what would happen in the life of our church if we began to pray this prayer every morning. I am your bondservant. I'm your bondservant. What kind of adventure would God put us on? You see, God is still on the move today. His rescue plan is not yet finished. And if you're following on your notes, God is still looking for humble and obedient people to carry the message of his son into the world today. And he does that by filling us and leading us with his spirit. If God can take a poor, uneducated peasant girl and have her carry the son of God in her womb, don't you think? He could do something in your life as well. He just wants to know one thing. Are you willing? Are you willing to lay it all aside and say, I'm the bondservant of the Lord? If you're following on your notes, let's close with this question to consider together. And I'll leave a little time for us to just be in prayer. Will I humbly give my life to God in service like Mary did? Will I humbly give my life to God in service like Mary did? Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to just talk about the Holy Spirit and how you lead us and guide us. We want to actually make room in our lives to hear from you. And so in these closing moments, as we're putting things away, as we're settling down, we're asking, as Samuel did, that you would speak and that we would listen. Lord, is there pride in my life getting in the way of hearing from you? Let us be people who confess. Are there things that I know sitting here even right now that you have called me to do and I have put it off, I had made excuses? What would it look like to be your bondservant today? Is there a person at work you're asking me to reach out to or someone in my neighborhood? Is there a way you're asking me to use my gifts, my time? How are you leading me? together we pray the prayer of Mary. We are your bondservant. May whatever you call us to be done in humility and obedience for your sake. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.